Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you watching online or listening, good morning to you. And those in the nursery, good morning to you and the little one also. And, no, that's it. That's it. We got no more. Romans chapter 7 this morning, unwanted wants. And we will stand and read verses 22 through 24. And so if you have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 7, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And if you're watching online, if you can, please stand with us. Romans chapter 7, verse 22. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Please be seated. Purposely stop short of the answer. Most of us know the answer. Unwanted wants is the title. If um, you might you might remember when we started this study, I entitled it Sin, Faith, and Salvation. And that is the story of the entire letter. Paul had al- already written to, well, we'll later write, to Christians in a place called Philippi. He said about himself that he wanted to be found in Christ, not having his own righteousness, which is from the law, But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And that's New Testament grace. That's New Testament theology. It doesn't abandon the Old Testament. It develops it. It's what Jesus meant. Think not that I have come to destroy the law, but but to fulfill it is part of it. Well, such was Paul serving Christ, not having his own righteousness, sharing how he found his higher self, that part of him that is in the spirit, constantly warring against the lower self, the natural man, that inherent sin that we all have. And his striking use of personal pronouns in this chapter alone are informative. Thirty-two times in this chapter he uses the pronoun I, five times me, And six times my. It's autobiographical. He's talking about himself. What he writes in this chapter can only come from the heart that has gone through these things. These are not the words of a spectator. These are the words of a participant. And I say that because there are those Bible teachers uh, that want to deny that it is Paul. He couldn't possibly be talking about himself. But he is. And uh, maybe we'll come back to that. We look now at verse 13. Building on everything that he has said about the word of God being vital to the Christian and to humanity. He says, has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. That last clause really is the answer to everything in, in the beginning of this verse, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. The Bible is here to tell us how messed up we are. And also, of course, to give us a solution. It doesn't leave us hanging. Paul is talking about his own past, his present, and his future state. The Christian that is deficient in grace is blind to it and often closed to it. They still think that through sincerity and effort, They're going to be perfected as Christians. And that goes against the very opening words that I use from Philippians, not according to my own righteousness. And it's a hard lesson for some to learn. 
I think many are scared to face themselves because they really don't understand what grace is about. Sin is not going anywhere for now. The only way to get away from it is to go to heaven. This, the Christian whom we are, uh, despite the spirit indwelling within us, we still struggle uh, for that life of perfection because sin is present. And we look for God, and we can find him, but still a lot of work. So he says here in verse 13, when answering his own question, certainly not, declaring that Scripture has permanent value, it is relevant in all ages, and it is sensible. And he says certainly not in his question-answer format throughout this letter ten times in Romans. So those kind of things should catch our attention and cause us to investigate what's behind it. Because the Holy Spirit has more behind the things written in Scripture than the writers of the Scripture. He's the author and the finisher. They're the scribes. And so when Paul says certainly not ten times, he's making his points. But the Holy Spirit can make greater points, greater applications. And when we see these things become sensitive and it begins to benefit us even more. The Bible does not need to be defended. It puts the sinner on defense. It says to the sinner, what are you going to do because you are being cornered? The single word for that is convicted. You are found guilty. It's over. You're guilty. There is a conviction. But sin, that it might appear sin. Well, sin is criminal. And these are the criminal colors that the Bible shows us about sin. It is a crime against the will of God. It is a crime against other people. It is a crime against ourselves. Sin is the ailment. Death is its its signature. And hell is its eternal outcome. And that would be very serious to some people. And unfortunately, a lot dismiss it. But through the law, sin is shown as evil to God because of the damage that it does. Scoff at your own risk. That's the message of the scripture. Scoff at the scripture at your own doom, if that's what you want to do. And mankind, you know, for instance, you know, will fashion tools to build things and then use them as weapons against others. And you would think that man, as they discover, for instance, antibiotics, and then end up using them on battlefields to treat those wounded in war, in the act of trying to kill each other. You'd think man would say, we do make progress. We're not getting anywhere. We invent airplanes and the travel that come with it. And then we use those same, well, not the identical airplanes, but we use the airplanes to drop bombs on people. We invent computers and we benefit from its technology, but someone then programs viruses and hacks to destroy the whole thing. This is humanity, and yet there are humanists out there that don't want to look up. They just want to look on the horizon and see people as improving. Well, for every step forward, man morally takes a step backwards in his denial of Christ, if that's what's going on. These are the kind of things we want to share. We pray, God, give us a chance to say these things to people who need to hear them. Round my faith so I will be able to handle all the tools on my belt. Imagine if you had a tool belt and there were some of the tools on it, you didn't know what they were for. You'd be lugging them around and they would just be useless, a drag on you. Progress may make men better off, but it cannot make men better. They're the same sinners they were all the way back in the days of Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel. Fallen man imagines there is a better alternative to Scripture. Certainly not. That is the outcome of examining the facts. They can't see heaven. They refuse to see the heaven of Christ. Uh, because they deny it. Hebrews chapter 4 The word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. A Christian can look at that verse and say, I I believe, 
And there are times we say, Father, help my unbelief. There are things that drag me down, but I, I want you to overrule that. I want you to see that I open my heart. I give full permission, full rights to you to overrule the evil that is in me. And, but the, the world, you want to tell them, sin does its dirty deeds, whether people notice it or not, whether people acknowledge it or not. And God is God, whether they notice or not, whether they acknowledge him or not, the Christ will be the Christ. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Well, the scripture, of course, addresses the soul and the spirit, the life and the afterlife. Other religions do too, they just can't back them up. That's my uh, wholehearted take on it. Uh, In our carnal state, we are slaves to sin. That's a fact. In our natural state, we're slaves to sin also. And the Christless have only a natural standing before God, and that natural standing is unacceptable. It is cursed. It is without someone to save them from that predicament that they were born into. The Christian has an old nature, and that old nature sometimes dominates us. We, we, We get that. And it actually can be used against Satan in that it helps humble us. It helps us from becoming self-righteous. It helps us to understand what we're dealing with when we're dealing with sinners. Without without ever giving sin a pass. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus said, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Because he knows they're going to enter into temptation. Not only there in the Garden of Gethsemane, but in life. And then he said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. What do you think that only had application there in Gethsemane when they couldn't stay awake? Of course not. Such a profound statement is profound because of its reach. It is a classic. That means it doesn't die. It retains its potency. And you serve Christ, you find out the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Pray that you don't enter into temptation, because once the temptation comes, you're half cooked. That's how serious a matter it is. Now, initially, appetites for sin are discovered, not sought. No one wakes up and says, today I'm going to be addicted to drugs. Today I'm going to be a mean person. Today I'm going to, no, these things, they... They close in on us. And once they do, they have a tendency of locking in uh, who they are to our carnality. And if the spiritual man is delivered by the scripture, by the law, that's salvation. He's saved. The natural man is doomed without the law. That being lost. His soul will be lost. Uh, when he dies, it will not go well. And then there is the carnal man. And the scripture applies that to the believer who behaves at times as an unbeliever. The carnal man is defeated even though they know the scripture. So you have the saved, the lost, and the battered. And we work not to get on that casualty list of carnality. We have our carnal moments, but we fight against them. But some Christians, you know, they don't um, they, they don't become apostates. They know who Christ is. They know who they are before Christ, but they can backslide and, and, and live uh, the way this far beneath the calling. And uh, it, it helps. If you're going to restore such a one, Galatians 6, 1, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. And if you're going to do that, you can't be self-righteous. Because you just shoot them. You just condemn them. You shouldn't have fallen. What's wrong with you? Look at me. Or some. And it doesn't have to be outward. It'd be inside your head. Your heart is thinking that way. Instead of saying, poor soul, what can we do to get you stronger? And well, anyway, every true believer has an unwanted side. The old nature, which can do nothing right. And thus, uh, verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, no good dwells. That's not a debate, not a debatable 
It's not a question. It's, it's a statement. It's a fact. It doesn't need theological, you know, wiggle moves to try to get out of what it says. It's good just like it is because it's true. But the new nature can do nothing wrong. We've made this point through chapter 7 before, 1 John chapter 3. We don't sin. That's that nature. That nature that loves the Lord. Galatians 5 verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit. Why? Because the spirit can't do anything wrong. But that flesh can. And that's why they're in opposition. Otherwise it would be no contest. And the spirit against the flesh. Galatians 5.17. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things you wish. You think Paul was saying. Well that's you. That's not me. Well, maybe someone hit them with that, because Galatians was written quite a bit of time earlier, before Romans. And so now he gets to Romans, he goes, I'm going to make sure they understand, me too. I struggle also. Verse 15, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, I do. These are the unwanted wants. These are the things that develop. They surface like a pimple or something. You know, it's just like, where did that come from? So you get in your 50s, you still get a pimple. Now, this is not right. <laughs> so the brain demands oftentimes a sin, which, would, which covers a lot of addictions. The receptors are demanding satisfaction. But the mind, which is not the brain, the mind is the heart. It hates the sin. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, the brain makes its contribution, of course. But the brain is physical. The mind is spiritual. You can x-ray the brain. You cannot x-ray the mind. Yet... We are to fight as though sin is beatable. We're commanded to fight. And most of it is, incidentally. Just that those one or two struggles we may have are very pronounced, amplified. Matthew 5, Jesus said, You shall be perfect, for your Father in heaven is perfect. Who's he talking to? Sinners that he knows can't be perfect, that need him to die on a cross. If they've got any shot of making it into heaven. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul said, Thus I fight. Not as one who beats the air. It's not a waste of time, this effort I put into resisting, resisting the things in me that I don't want. And that which separates me from God is that which I cannot be rid of. It's the whole bunion with the, you know, Christian, the character, the lead character, Christian, with that burden on him. Until he reaches heaven, he's really not free. My sinful nature, my flesh, is the portal that sin enters through. It's an open door. C.S. Lewis said, an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure, that's sin. And that is unwanted. Now, I get to in a little bit the differences between a Christian and a non-Christian because there are differences in this area that need to be stated. So Christ is given grace, but I want utter deliverance. I want to be completely free of waking up and being susceptible to letting him down. Well, when I wake up dead, that will happen. But for now... Uh, it's, it's pray that you enter not into temptation. Why can I not be the Christ-like servant that I would love to be, that my mind wants, that my heart craves? Now, of course, inherent sin is the simple answer. You don't have to complicate that. You don't have to do five points. It's one word. You can't say the word without sounding like a hissing serpent. Sin. That's the reason. Spurgeon said, do not despise the Christian because he is in conflict. And we should be in conflict with these things. And if we weren't, it doesn't make us hypocrites. Just because we get tripped up 
doesn't mean we're not fighting. And if we're fighting, we're not hypocrites. We're in the fight. And, you know, the world tries to throw that in, in your face and tell them straight out, grow up. None of us are perfect. If I act like I'm perfect, you get on my case about that. If I prove I'm not perfect, you get on my case about that. So why don't we skip that step and understand what's going on here. That it's a real devil. He's licking his chops to you, for you. You're going to be with him if you're not careful, but you don't have to be. Choice is up to you, bozo. So, no, now, no Christians call me bozo before I was saved. Not verbally, but the look on their face, <laughs> they did. You poor, pathetic soul. And uh, anyway, verse, <laughs> verse 16. I have to keep my hair short, incidentally, else I will look like bozo. It will grow where I don't want it to grow. Anyway, uh, verse 16. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. You know, these are words of a believer. Those opposed to Jesus do not agree with the author and finisher of our faith. Oh, they might agree with some things that he says, but that's not enough. That's damning. Judas believed some of the things that Jesus said. He didn't believe enough. And what, what uses it if you swim almost to rescue? Then you're not rescued. You can't, if you make it almost to salvation, you're doomed. You have to go all the way. And it really isn't that far if Christ is the one that's taking you. Which is kind of pictured when he walked on the water and he, and he finally got, gets in the boat. And they were at the shore. It's a, it was a miraculous moment. They didn't have to row anymore. Christ was in the boat and the destination was reached. Through the storm. Verse 17, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. <laughs> now I remember seeing a little child being told not to touch the television. And so they used their doll to touch it. And that's not what's being that's not the case. They're trying to find a loophole around. Well, I'm not really telling a little kid, you know, who teaches them these things? Inherent sin. It's like, you said, I can't touch it, fine. But you didn't say my doll couldn't touch it. Well, anyway, the challenge of preaching grace without preaching lawlessness is on all of us. Because we're never condoning sin. It is the most hateful thing we know. But there are just facts that we have to line up, put in their proper place. And Satan is terrified of this. He's afraid of a Christian that has their theology together and is humble at the same time, that understands these things, that is not self-righteous, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press towards the mark for the prize, the high calling of God. Inferior, still pressing for the superior. Verse 18, For I know that in me that is in my flesh... Nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Not just a flash, or I did it one time. It's recurring. Thus recurrent grace. The power of grace to subdue these things, to defeat them. These are the unwanted wants, although we want to know, will Paul tell us exactly what it is? But, but Paul does not, and we're glad. Um, you know, I, I, for, I've never had a problem with gossip. But the assistant pastor, David, does. <laughs> he does not. Like, I'm sorry, I can't tell you anything. <laughs> we have already heard about you. Uh, but that, that would be gossiping on my part. That's what gossip looks like. I don't have the problem, but let's talk about somebody else. Well, unwanted wants, that's the title because this is the, it's in, within this material. The mind of Christ identifies what sin is and despises it. The Christian doesn't have a casual view of sin. Yeah, that's wrong. We understand the depths that belong to it, but not to clobber people with it, to alert, alert them. Sin is a matter of the inward man, as we read in verse 22. And the actions follow. 
If the sin were not a matter of the inward man, then it would be no need for God to judge the heart. He would just have to look at the outside. But it's the heart. From the heart, evil flows. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks and the life lives. And so to have Christ in your heart is significant. I remember years ago, Christians that, you know, they did love the Lord. As best as you could tell of one human to another, they loved the Lord. But they were tripped up. And they knew it. And they wanted out. Many of these were drug addicts. And, uh, you know, what an education that is to get you off your high horse when people whom you love uh, are struggling with something. You know, before... Before uh, they came out with, for example, the patch to help smokers, a lot of smokers couldn't stop. No matter what you did, you tell, you diagnose them with, you know, serious disease, they're still smoking. Uh, so the, the addiction, the brain versus the mind, the versus the heart. Let's not look to the world to tell us about these things, because they can't make that distinction. That's why they give drugs to treat behavior, because they don't. They're messing with the brain to try to reach the heart, and it doesn't work. And they make a mess wherever they go. You know, my, when the psychologists show up, things are getting worse. They're going to get worse. And uh, they, they, they mean well. And because they mean well, people defend them. But if you look at the record, this is, this is bad. Anyway, I will, I, Shelby Fort, the historian, Civil War historian, uh, he, he was asked a question about the uh, Civil War veterans, many and who were amputees, multi, you know, multiple amputees even. And he, he talked about when he was a boy, he met some of them, and they were just as jolly as anything. How do you account for that? No one was there to tell them, you know what, you got some mental problems. And because no one was there to tell them that, uh, they they lived, I think, in a better way than if someone was there to say, here, take this to feel better about things. I'm not trying to trivialize these things. I just have a disdain for uh, Satan getting away with treating sin through the body when the solution to treating sin is through the heart. It's a sin. It's a spiritual matter. Well, I don't care what your problem is. If you're a thief, if you're an adulterer, if you are uh, just a profane person, the problem, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. It is sin. Without exception, sin is an operation. And uh, that's why a lot of people don't want to hear it. It used to be people would avoid a church that preached the scripture. Now we find a lot of people that look for churches that don't preach the scriptures and they're quite comfortable there. Uh, that is very deceptive and very damning uh, to, to avoid dealing with sin. Well, I know I've offended some folks, but that's because the world has a greater influence on how you go about treating behavior than the Scripture. His divine power has given... Oh, you won't believe me if I quote it, maybe, some of you. So I want you to see me reading it, because it's in the Bible. And I'm not sorry that it's in here either. Second Peter Chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power. I'm reading it. You can read along with me if you start right here. Lord, forgive them. They have no humor. <laughs> Which one? Is it you or me? Anyway, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. See, I can't do both. I can't go to the world to say, help me understand the Bible. I can't go to the world to say, help me understand human behavior. I can only go to the scripture, to the OEM, the original manufacturer. I must go to God and say, what makes us tick? Now, I can certainly learn about that by interacting with people, but I have to have as my foundation the scripture. And if you don't believe that, then you reduce the scripture into some sort of moral traffic cop, which says, hell that way, heaven this way, and that's it. The book wouldn't be so thick if that were all it were. Well, I've had my moment of coming back to verse 19, that flesh 
which is opposed to Jesus Christ, it is totally beyond redemption. God will not bless the flesh in its dealings, though the person who is the host of the flesh can still be blessed. The natural man lives in the flesh, the carnal Christian is stumbled by the flesh, and the spiritual man subdues the flesh. No way around that. If there is, tell me. We'll put it in a bottle and we'll sell it in the chapel store and humanity will be better after that. Well, verse 20. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Spoken like one who has tried to be perfect in the past and in the present. Only to realize their own personal great imperfection. <clears throat> he doesn't have to be a serial killer to be a, a, a sinner. He can just be somebody that is behaving in a way that God has forbidden. And if you, who here reads the Sermon on the Mount and says, boy, I'm glad that's not talking to me. You read the Sermon on the Mount and you go, woe is me, for I am undone. And if you don't, then you probably have a reading comprehension issue. Well, Anyway, the invasive influence uh, of sin exploits our fallen nature and the spirit responds and fights it. So uh, uh, this, this is grace. The Bible teaches the inability of man and the responsibility of man at the same time. There's no need to reconcile them. This is what they will be reconciled when we get to heaven when we jettison the flesh. Verse 21, I find then a law... That is evil, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. I meant to do the right thing and I messed it all up. There it is. I am dead to sin, but sin is alive to me. It is present with me. That's what he says. Now you can get around this and you can say, well, he's not talking about himself. He's just pointing fingers at everybody else. And that's why he's opened up with, He's talking, this is autobiographical. The personal pronouns demand that. And here, again, I am dead to sin, sin alive to me. Psalm 120, verse 5. I love the poetic way of saying the same thing. Woe is me, I dwell in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. The psalmist is saying, I'm with those outside of the covenant that are against Yahweh. And it's a poetic way. That's my flesh. I'm stuck with this. The flesh is guaranteed to sin. The new nature is guaranteed not to sin. 1 John 3, whoever has been born of God does not sin. Again, that's the spiritual nature. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. You say, John is double-talking. No, earlier he had said, if any of us sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Why do we have an advocate with the Father? Is the question, how do you get that advocate? Who doesn't have him? Well, the one that's not submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord. That's why Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? He's Lord. He's master. He's sovereign. He's owner. And you are under that entirely or not, and suffer those consequences. Verse 22, and Jesus gave parables about, you know, coming back and finding what they did in his vineyard. Uh, parables in Isaiah about that. Parables in the Gospels. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Which Christian? Which Christian has not read scripture and said, I love your word. I love it. Knowing that we struggle. We all do. We love his word. Only the believer says, I delight in the law of God. Because in the law, in the rule book of God, there is this rule. The grace of Jesus Christ. The willingness and the ability to not crush the sinner. That is grace. That's a part of grace. Grace is difficult to understand because it's spiritual, not natural. We, you know, we don't, um, we, we tend to, to not think in those terms until we come to Scripture. How many of you knew it, how many of you applied grace to your state with God before the Bible? Before Scripture, grace was something where the ballerina did. 
Oh, she's so graceful. <clears throat> Sorry, I meant to do that a little deeper. No identity problems up here. Anyway, my voice just went up. <laughs> Psalm 40, I delight to do your will, O oh my God, and your law is within my heart. Now again, for the Greeks and the Hebrews, the heart was the entire being. It was not only your feelings, your emotions, it was also the way you thought and what your, where your will, the seat of your will. You put those together, that's the heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The heart covers it all. Psalm 118, verse 15, the voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. Well, David could never say, I will enter his courts with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts in praise had it not been for his understanding that there's more to God than the Ten Commandments. He could not say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever without understanding that God has invested in sinners. He is not satisfied with them as sinners. But he... He makes a way of escape that you may be able to bear it, as he writes, Paul writes in the Corinthian letter. When you come across a God, which is the God, like this, what is your response if you're not giving your life to him? Are you casual about this? You're eating a sandwich, reading the Bible, I don't care. Or do you say, Woe is me? I'm in trouble. I need to fix this. And you run to the cross of Christ. Satan wants you to be in a fog about these things. Or casual. There's nothing casual about salvation. There's nothing casual about the Bible. There's nothing casual about the cross of Christ. Or your salvation. All of it is intense. And there's nothing casual about Satan either. In verse 23, he continues, But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Me too, Paul. You want to find out where that me too belongs? There it is. The fierce conflict, all out, painful, scary, very costly. But Jesus said, I send you out as sheep among wolves. Well, he must have some backup moves to pull that off. And he does. It's the Holy Spirit bringing me into captivity. I, we covered this last session. I may be a POW, but I'm no traitor. Huge difference. I may be in enemy territory as a prisoner, not as a traitor. And this is the story of Ezekiel and of Daniel as discussed last, last session, as a child of God, I'm always planning my escape from sin, never collaborating with the enemy. My flesh does, my spirit hates it. And therefore, you are a threat to hell. If hell can get you to be casual about your sin, then you're not so much of a threat. Now, it doesn't mean we, you can't live with this intensity. You just would collapse. You couldn't serve. I can't serve. I'm such a sinner. It's learning to accept the grace and continue to fight at the same time. It's a very simple solution that is difficult. That's a paradox. Sounds like a contradiction. It is not. You who serve, you know. If we were waiting for, if you waited for any Christian to be perfect before they could serve, we would have no servants. You'd have no pastor. The law of sin, which is in my members. That's, that's in me, my flesh, my body. Universities teach every law known to man, except this one. This one's known to man. They don't want to teach the law of sin. Because then they have to come under its authority. The authority of the one who has revealed this law, Christ. This law explains why people do what they do. The single root of all behavioral problems. Mentally, every believer sides with God on the question of conduct. Physically is a different matter. Warring against the law of my mind. That's, again, the inward man. That's the mind. As referred to in verse 23, the inward man. 
verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? What if the scripture ended there? We'd be doomed. But it doesn't. It's just a great sob in the voice of the one who says this, which is all of us. His strength failed. His struggle to overcome sin through sincerity and hard effort and study. A lot, of, a lot of Christians become disillusioned because they study so hard and don't get the results they want. And they think that, well, it's not working or, you know, they just can get tripped up by that. What, is, what do you do when you study so hard and you're not getting the results? You persevere. We have a word for that. But you persevere. There are rules to that. You just can't keep going forward. You can just become a a, a judge. You still have to have love. You still have to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Uh, you, You have to still bear all things. You have to understand love never fails. Well, God loves me, and I know it, and I love him back. That love will not fail me when I die. There is hatred in his voice when he writes about sin, not for himself, but for sin. Romans, 9, Romans 12, 9, abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Sound advice. Romans 8, verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Now, the carnal mind is found in the Christian struggling. The natural mind has that too. It is carnal in that sense. It is not spiritual. I have noticed that Christians love the song Amazing Grace because we can all identify with it. There's no, this is a very easy fit. And uh, before his conversion... Saul, the writer of this letter, was smug in his own legalistic approach to religion. Uh, He thought that his effort and his sincerity and his study was good enough. But when he comes to Christ, he realized that wasn't the case. And he writes, he, he speaks about that. Luke writes it down in Acts chapter 26. Indeed, I myself, Paul said, thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus Christ. That is the picture of a person without the Holy Spirit. The lost soul may catch a glimpse of their wretched state. They don't want to be addicted to things. They want control over their life. That's just common grace. It's not spiritual grace. Spiritual grace has its eyes on Christ, on his will. doesn't want to offend him. Common grace is not interested in Christ. It has its own definitions for what's good and bad. Zechariah, he said that he shared the things of God with the people, and an element of them, of course, refused this, and he writes it down, Zechariah 7.11. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, and stopped their ears so that they could not hear. Well, that is still happening. Luke chapter 22, verse 62, gives the difference. In Luke, in, in Zechariah, they had human problems. They dealt with it in human ways, even if they had false religion. It's still human because they are human gods. But the Christian, when faced with these things, Luke 22, verse 62, when Peter denied the Lord the third time, it says Peter went out and wept bitterly. A grown man crying like a platoon of babies. Just sobbing heaving, uh, just destroyed. And what did Christ do for Peter? He carefully reconstructed him and put him back to work in ministry. He still does that. Peter, do you love me? Let's get to the bottom of this. Let's not sweep this under the rug, Peter, because I need not only you to see it, I need generations to come to see it. That you who are spiritual restore such a one. And Peter was restored. He says here in verse 24, Who will deliver me from this body of death? A genuine cry for deliverance. 
Matthew 5, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And it has to do with sin, not only uh, the, life, the grief we find in life. This has to do with a poor spirit concerning sin. And as I mentioned, if Romans ended here, we'd be devastated, but it doesn't, because he raises the poor off the dunghill. And sets him among the princes. Verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind. I myself serve the law of God. The Bible. But with the flesh. The law of sin. So he's very mature about this. He's not. uh, You know in a fantasy world. When it comes to sin. He is not behaving as though. Facts are not facts. So once again, haven't said this in a while. The approach to the scripture, I think, should be fact, faith, and feelings in that order. Satan comes along and switches that order. So your feelings are now dictating what your faith should be. And the facts are then, of course, ruined. Because your feelings, are our, our feelings, are so imperfect. Uh, I'm not the only one that has this formula. It is a good formula. And uh, so, back to verse 25, when he says, With my mind I serve the Lord. Now, the Gnostics took such a verse, a teaching as this, because Paul wasn't the only one teaching this. They took this to sponsor lawlessness. Well, you know, sin is abstract. It's not concrete. Long as the concrete part is in the heart. It doesn't matter how you act. You see how they twisted it? As Peter said, they take Paul's words and they twist them to their own harm. And what did God do in response to the Gnostics? Well, he dispatched Paul and John primarily to refute these things. First, John is aimed at the Gnostics and so is Colossians. Uh, so, uh, and uh, the other teachings have it also. So we have to be understand very clear about this. We're not saying it's okay to sin. Sin is a hated thing. And to take the shame out of sin is to sin. The apostles, you know, they, they, they have given us what we need to go forward. But with the flesh, the law of sin. And so there he says, where sin abounded, grace did much more. But to get that grace, there needs to be genuine uh, of genuine faith. Peter talks about that, does he not? And he talks about the genuineness of your faith, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. Why? Why is that so important? Because if you are faking it, if you think you can live lawlessly and, lawlessly and pretend to be a Christian, you're going to be disappointed in the end. And that's a euphemism. But if you're genuine, the grace supplies. It sticks. And so we read, second, I'm almost done. We read 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though the outward man is perishing, that's the part, the members that sin. He continues, yet the inward man is being renewed daily, day by day. Why? Why do I have to have a morning sacrifice, even sacrifice in the Old Testament? Because it's telling me that in the New Testament, the fight is daily. Well, now that I have this amazing grace, what am I going to do with it? I'm going to clobber other people over the head. (laughs) To forgive others according to the scriptures is to launch an attack against hell. Every time that you seek to apply your faith, you are attacking the enemy. Just, just take out, take out your, your resistance and see what, what's left. The cross of Christ is something to say, and it says it at the crucifixion. And Christ says, unless you take up your cross and die daily, you can't be my disciple. We just do these things as Christians. So I close with this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Yeah, because they don't see that genuine element. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Why? What is the difference? 
We've met Christ. That's what. We've been born again. We know the Lord. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, if by any means I may be conformed. This is the Christian life. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, your grace is truly amazing. It's an understatement to say that your grace is amazing. There are, are no words in any language, but there is the perseverance, the determination to follow hard after you, to do whatever it takes to remain under your lordship in spite of failure. We thank you for these infallible proofs. Lord, it is the prayer of the righteous for those who are lost. And if you're here this morning or watching online or listening on the podcast, or maybe in the future when the message is posted, if you've not opened your heart to Christ, why not? What is so special about a life without Jesus? Because there's a whole lot more. And we who believe have lived in both worlds. We know what it's like to live life according to our own judgment and preferences. And we know what it's like to come to the cross of Christ, to be lifted to the throne of God, to be in touch with the maker of the universe and the savior of the soul, the lover of sinners. And you're invited to join. Or you can stay in the world and, and suffer their fate. Or come to Christ and begin to see what life is really all about. If you'd like to open your heart to Christ, if you tried it your way and you realize that you are a sinner, you're in bad standing with God, you've broken His law, you've trampled His law, if you would like to receive grace and forgiveness, then come to him. Make this prayer in earnest. He'll receive you. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your commandments, and I ask you to forgive me. There's nowhere else to go. There's no one else that's good enough to die for me. There's no one else who loves me enough to die for me. There's no one powerful enough to rise again. I give my life to you, and from this day forward, I ask that you would be both the one who saves my soul and lords over my life. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may it go forward. May they not be ashamed of their confession. May they come to love you with their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.